Well, today with me, I'm joined by a very special guest from the basketball community again. It's a very recurring theme that has become popular in this podcast, seeing as how there are many great students of the game. Oh. And our guest today is Elijah Lestraco, who works at Acceleration Performance under the great Sherwin Vassallo and is training the next era of athletes to carry the torch for basketball in Manitoba as we speak. So Elijah... Welcome to the show, man. It's great to have you, U of M and Redeemer alum. Can't forget that. Yeah, no, for sure. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. It's my first podcast. So, Elijah, you had some crazy times playing at the U of M, getting there during COVID, and not really knowing what to expect. What was your first impression of Winnipeg when you got there? Uh, Yeah, when I got here, I, I don't have any connection to the city. So, um, it was COVID as well. So, nothing was really open. And I only... I, I moved in with Rashawn Brown, former Bison as well. So honestly, like there there was not much going on. It, it just seemed very quiet, but everyone here was super nice, uh, very welcoming. But yeah, like I was just living in the south end of the city. So I only really knew the area around U of M for a good like four or five months. So just very quiet, very nice people. That was like the only impression I, I had about Winnipeg. Was there a stark contrast between your hometown of Oakville versus Winnipeg? Um, it it was just it's definitely very different. Like the the right away, I could tell the people here were a lot friendlier. Um, people were just more willing to go to their way to help you. Um, but Oakville being like around the GTA, it's it's more busy. Everyone's kind of just like worried about their own thing. Where I feel like right away when I got to Winnipeg, there was just that sense of community and like, I don't know, just, just great people around here. And now that you've found a home in Winnipeg, you've been here for a bit of time and have been working at acceleration. What's been your favorite thing about living in Winnipeg so far? Favorite thing about living in Winnipeg. I think, um, well, one is just way cheaper to live here. That's right off the bat compared to Ontario. It's just affordable. Um, the other thing is I feel like, um, the work you put in in Winnipeg can really like go a long way. Like there's just people that are um, more willing to reach or reach out to you for help or like um, kind of uh, what's it called? They want to like help you. So like becoming a personal trainer, like people are seeing that and wanting to come and work out with me. They're just way more helpful than uh, people back home, I guess. And just, just that sense of community again, like um, it's just, I want to want to say it's easier to make a name for yourself here, but it's just been more welcoming and it's just been like an easier path to kind of like build my name up because I just, I've only been personal training for a couple months now and uh, just the help I've gotten and all the, the kind words people have reached out and been saying to me, it's, it's been, it means a lot. And especially when you think about how different things can be when you're done your university career, I know that, from having met people who've played lots of different sports, it can be tough to transition from playing at a high level to going into the working world. Did you initially have your sights set on personal training when you finished basketball? Um, It's always been something I've been interested in. I just never knew how or if I could like make a living doing it. So I always knew I would like want to coach in some way. Um, And then so the, how I got into personal training at acceleration performances, I did like my, my co-op, my last thing for my kind degree was a co-op and I did it over the summer at AP. 
And uh, I loved it. It was so much fun. It didn't even feel like work. So when the co-op was done, I told Sherwin, like, hey, I'm I'm looking to apply for, like as a personal trainer at, at these gyms. And he's like, wait a second. Like, and he kind of just sat me down. He's like, I really love the work you've been doing here. Like, it would be great to have you here. And then we just kind of discussed some details and everything worked out. So now I'm, I'm happy with the position I have at this gym. And I'm really looking forward to it, like keep growing as a personal trainer and especially in this community. It's a bit of a different position being in when you're coaching and training people versus when you're playing. What are some of the things that you've learned about yourself so far in the first few months of being a personal trainer that you didn't realize before? Um, Biggest thing right off the bat is like the whole communication aspect of things and just being personable with people. Um, obviously, as a personal trainer, you want someone who's knowledgeable and, and knows their stuff, right? Has good, unique workouts. But I think the biggest thing is just like being able to talk to anyone and just like being able to keep a conversation and just, and, you know, just making, making people's days almost because people coming into the gym, you don't know what their day's been like, what their week's been like, but everyone kind of comes into the gym to get like a mental reset. I feel like that's one of the best things about working out. So obviously you go to the gym by yourself, that, that mental reset, reset can happen. But when you have a personal trainer there, that's like your friend that you can talk to and and you, you can laugh with them, but they're also putting you through a, a hard workout. I just think it, it, it can just really change someone's day. And, uh, that's the biggest thing I've learned. Obviously as a, as an athlete, communication is a huge piece, but, um, this is, this is just communication in a different way. Usually you're already friends with your teammates. You see them every day for hours on end, but these people, you might see them two hours a week, three hours a week, and you gotta, you know, just keep up with them and their life and, and be able to just, uh, hold a conversation with them and, and almost just be a friendly person to them. It's, I think it's, it's a fascinating idea when you, when you are able to conceptualize the impact that you can make when you're done your career. Cause I know that it's oftentimes athletes, especially in basketball, they're maybe not as much as a sport like soccer or something where it's very difficult to go high up, but there are some of those players that are able to make it to Europe or do those kinds of things. But there's a lot of them that aren't always able to make it to that next level or, or make it sustainable for a long time. But when you're coaching, I think it really brings out a different side of people that oftentimes isn't realized until you're in it. And I'm sure you, you watch the NBA and sometimes when you're able to pinpoint, oh, this person's a great coach, but when they played in the NBA, or when they played basketball, they weren't that good. But there's something that they know that other people who are very good players can't translate as coaches. How have you found the transition to coaching compared to what your playing career was like? Um, honestly, the transition has been way smoother than I thought. Um, I think in my final years of playing, I really took on like a leadership role and in basketball and especially the way Kirby coaches at U of M, he really relies on his veteran guys to be like, like right underneath the coaching staff. So I'm basically like a coach on the court. Like everything Kirby is thinking, I have to relay that to the team. And he's like relying on me to do that. So in my last year, I was captain of the team. And my goal going into the season was just to be the best leader possible. Because we had a lot of young guys and I didn't know um, how well we or how good we were going to be. Like we, we literally had no clue. Um, 
just a bunch of young guys. So my mindset was just, okay, just be the best leader possible. Like at the end of the season, like it's my last year, but my goal is to just like for the guys on the team to be like, look back at the end of their careers and be like, Elijah was a great leader. Like he was a great person I could look up to as a young player in the league. So um, I think that my final year really helped me having so many young guys transition into the coaching role because I started to look at the game in a completely different way, just like smaller details, you know, smaller details, what it takes to be a good leader, what it takes to like win games, stuff like that. And as a coach, um, I feel like you kind of just take, like take a step back and got to think even more outside the box, right? As a player, you're so in the moment, you're so locked in on the game, your opponent, your stats, whatever it may be. But as a coach, you're, you're not caught up in those emotions and you can really just take a step back and like really look at the bigger picture. And uh, as like a strength coach, I think I've been able to do that just like passing on my knowledge about how important the weight room is. And then obviously we train a lot of basketball players and like a lot of prep teams and high school guys, young university guys, and just being able to give them advice about their playing careers and the type of mindset that they should be having moving forward. You guys had, uh, well, there was an interesting game. I remember following when you guys played against the university of Alberta in your last year <laughs> and a bit of a, a bit of pandemonium there in double overtime where you had to, you know, throw a few triangles onto the clipboard to drop some plays to end up putting you guys in the lead and winning the game. What was that first experience like being a, a mini coach in a crazy game in Canada West against U of A? It was, uh, I'm not going to lie. It was like, I was super nervous at first. Like we were all in the huddle, just madness in the huddle. Everyone's trying to talk. And then at one point, Rashawn, he was the assistant, but he was acting as the head coach because Kirby got kicked out. He was like, all right, everyone shut the hell up. He gave me the clipboard. He's like, Elijah, write us up a play. And I froze for like three seconds. I was like, um, okay. And then boom, something just came to my head. And from there, it was just, I wasn't even thinking about it. And it was a play to get Simon an open three. And it worked. I don't know if he hit the three, but he got a wide open shot off the three. Um, in the moment, I was just, Simon had the hot hand. I was like, okay, what can I do uh, to get him the ball? And it was basically a play that like drew attention to me. And then I just kicked it over to Simon and he ended up being wide open. But uh, yeah, it was stressful for the first couple of seconds. But then it was just what I've been saying about like being caught up in the emotions, right? Because I was, I was playing and I was so caught up in the emotions. So it, it took me a second to click. Okay, like I don't have to like, don't be so caught up in everything. Like, what do we have to do here? We need this type of shot. Okay, who has the hot hand? Simon does. How can we get him the ball? Okay, I've been going aggressive to the paint all game. I'm going to make a play that looks like I'm about to do that. Take the pressure off Simon. He should get an open shot. So it's just really taking a step back and then breaking things down. I know that when I had a, a chat on the podcast with Sherwin about coaching and how he had said that he always kind of stayed away from it, that coaching was something that taught him a lot about himself especially when he was able to work with the University of St. Boniface for a small bit of time. Now that you are working as a physical trainer, have, would you ever consider or is one of your goals to be able to actually work and coach a team in terms of drawing up X's and O's and developing strategy? Yeah, I would love to coach. Um, probably as an assistant at first, I think I still to like, I think I could definitely coach like a high school team. Um 
but I think my strength right now would be like player development, uh, some more skills training um, as an assistant. And then like, so if I were to go like work at U of M or something, like just learning from Kirby and how he does his X's and O's. Cause he's like, he's by far the best coach I ever had in terms of like, you know, scheming a defense or just like drawing up offensive plays and stuff like that. Obviously that takes years of experience to do. Um, but yeah, I would love to coach. I love basketball so much. It's literally been my life the last 20 years since I was four years old. So, um, just being in the gym with the guys, it's, it's a great feeling. And I definitely want to get back to that eventually. I know that Rashawn Brown, you said that he was your roommate when you first moved to Winnipeg. What were some of the things that you were able to learn from him to help you become a stronger leader? Um, stronger leader. I think so just the communication aspect of of like how to talk to the guys on the team. I think in uh we're both from Ontario. He's from Scarborough, I'm from Oakville. But I know like we both grew up in very competitive high schools. Um and the the atmosphere is very different. It was kind of like kill or be killed for our, our high school teams, his more so than mine. But even still, like I went to high school with a lot of guys that either went to play Division One. A couple of them are playing pro. One made it to the NBA. So it was very like, you know, you just tell someone how it is. You're very like, there's no holding back. And I think um, when I came here, I had to change that a bit about myself and the way I could communicate with certain guys. Um, just learning that like, okay, maybe I can really get on this one player but this other player doesn't react too well to, you know, being screamed at. So that was like the biggest thing uh, I learned. And then from him mainly, he like, from the moment I got here, he was like my skills trainer. So he basically like taught me all like the little things he was doing when he was playing. And that was by far the biggest thing. Like going into my last year, what really changed my game was, I was doing skills work with Rashawn and strength training with Sherman. So that was like, I was getting coached up and changing my physical appearance by the best trainer in the province. And then I personally think Rashawn is the best skills trainer in the city, just because he's a guy who was fresh to the game. Like he had just played and he's a pro. Like he, if he didn't graduate during COVID, like he would be playing professional basketball at a very high level because he's an amazing player. So just like learning from both those guys was huge. The, the, you know how they say like your environment shapes who you become and the people you spend the most time around the five people you spend the most time around is who you end up becoming the average of. And so hearing about your experiences with work training with Sherwin and training with Rashawn, it's not really a surprise that it allowed you to grow into a better player, a better leader and, I think that's one of the most important things in sports that you try to carry forth into your life as yes, obviously you're in a team environment and it's very easy when you're playing and you're in school, but then when you're done, what's the roadmap? Where do you go? How do you navigate this path of wanting to still be in a sports environment while knowing that it isn't always a conventional route to becoming a head coach? Cause even if you look at, or I've ever talked with Kirby about how did he become the head coach U of M? It wasn't just an ABC hop, step, and a jump. And so sure. this kind of profession, I think, is something that 
forces people to be very entrepreneurial and it brings out a lot of great skills, but also it can be very tough navigating this much uncertainty compared to if you were just like, oh, I'm a, I'm a school teacher or I work whatever job that's nine to five and it's the same and consistent and I, I know what to expect. Yeah, no, for sure. But I think like on the flip side of that is that this job is so rewarding. Like there's no better feeling than like, I've been training someone hard for two, three months and they just have like, like so much progress. And they like every day they come in and tell you like, oh, I've been getting compliments, this and that. Or like, you know, just after a session with someone, like you could just tell they, they worked as hard as they could. They put the work in and is it a good feeling knowing that you're helping people and giving back? And I think like um, in the world we're in today, like there's so many like social media fitness influencers and there's so much like bs about like strength training and working out that's going around the internet so just being able to give like good information to people who not who might lack that knowledge about uh personal training or just like you know helping an athlete uh reach their next step or reach their goals like it's it's such a great feeling i know that you have had the opportunity to work with matt uh koenig a former guest on this podcast and and he's someone who not only do i love chatting with but i know has a lot of like he is the person that embodies the unconventional path of thinking execution and the way that he operates and is able to get himself and those that he works with to another level what are some of the the things that you learned or that you've learned so far that seem to be myths or unconventional or I wouldn't say controversial, but that have, uh, how, how has your perspective changed with the philosophies you have since, you know, getting to know him, doing the program and working as a trainer? Yeah. So um, I've only had a few conversations with Matt, but every time I talk to him, I learn something and I'm taking his flagship program as well. Um, it's been taking me a while to get through it just because I've been so busy. I was finishing school and now I'm jumping into personal training. But I think just like the biggest thing with him is, is that um, like you're, you're, you should always be open to learn new things, right? Like there's so many ways, there's so many effective ways of doing something. And like you said, like he, do, he does like unconventional stuff, right? So like you could be doing something one way and it's working, but it doesn't mean like you shouldn't go and learn from other people. I remember like seeing something on his story that was like coaches should have coaches. Right. And I'm full believer in that. Like I love to learn, like I'm really good at taking criticism, constructive feedback. So I think just like being able to have a person like him that I can reach out to and know, like I'm always going to learn something or no, he'll just, he'll tell me straight up. No, like that's not good. You should try it like this. Uh, it's great. And then, so like having him and Sherwin, right now and then i'm just hoping to build more connections like that but yeah like i said i don't i haven't had too many conversations with matt um and a lot of them are like either over the phone or over text but that's the one thing for sure it's just like just the knowledge he has and just like i always keep learning learn different ways to do something be unconventional be creative all that stuff is huge who have been some of your favorite um who have been some of the biggest mentors that you've had over the span of your basketball career in the last maybe five to 10 years that have helped to form you into the, the person and the coach now that you've become. Oh, uh, for sure. Um, 
honestly, I, I've been blessed to have a lot of great coaches. So um, it's going to start my high school coach, Andrew Sole. Um, he was huge for me. It was, I was, it was really hard for me to get recruited out of high school. And it was really frustrating. And, and uh, there was times, there's probably one or two times where I was like, I, I don't know, like, I think I'll just go to school. And he just really encouraged me to not give up and just keep playing basketball. And, you know, he would, he would reach out for school to me all the time. And he was just always there for me. All, he would open the gym up for me at six in the morning every day before school. So I get shots up before class. Like he was outstanding for me in high school. And then moving into uh, university at Redeemer, we had a skills coach named Divya Rao. And he he's a legend, man. Like, people in the Hamilton basketball community know about Div. He was, he was getting professional athletes into Redeemer's small little crappy gym at the time and having the best basketball runs and the best personal training in the city. He was training, like, all the pros in the area. And he was a guy that he got me into Redeemer. He's the reason I went there. And every summer we put in so much work. And he was like, he was my mental and my physical mentor at the time. Like, it, it, like there was some tough times in college and he was always there for me. He was like my brother while I was there, every struggle I was going through. But at the same time, like, he was always down to get into the gym and teach me something new. So I, I owe a lot to Divya for sure. Like, he really changed my back, the way I think about basketball and just life in general. And once uh, my time at Redeemer was finished, Rashawn, my first connection to the city, my first friend here, he was big, like I was talking about earlier, just like with the skills training, um, kind of just like letting me know how things run at U of M, giving me the rundown on the city. Rashawn was huge for me. Um, and then now uh, that I'm done basketball, Sherwin has been my mentor. And just, you know, teaching me about this business, right? Because like you said, like this field, it, you, you get to be an entrepreneur. But in the kinesiology degree, there's no business side of things, right? But the kin degree is a general degree, right? It's a very open degree. So there's a lot of room to be an entrepreneur within that degree. But I don't really have any business knowledge. So just uh, having Sherwin to just kind of like, almost like showed me the blueprint of like, Hey, this is how you can be successful as a trainer. Cause it's a, I, like I said, it's always something I wanted to do. I just didn't know how I can make it sustainable. Right. So for me, those are like the, the, the big four right there. I know you said five, but those four have been like huge. All those guys had, have had huge uh, roles in my life for sure. The importance of mentorship cannot be understated. And even when you mentioned what Matt one of the things that many things that Matt has talked about with how, and I know even Darcy too and Sherwin, like how coaches need coaches and the, the continuous journey of learning never ends. Yeah. Even if you've worked owning a business for 10, 20, 30 years. And honestly, even when you think about like, I took a degree from the faculty of kinesiology and rec management, the, the business side, so to speak. But when you look at, how people operate after school, it really depends on what you make of it. Whether you do kin, AT, phys ed, or rec management, it doesn't matter. And I think in a way, our generation, if they want to make great things of themselves, they have to be entrepreneurial. Like yeah. 
in some sort of way, you don't have to own a business or be a CEO, but you have to take a lot of initiative. And I think that uh, seeing the work that you've done at Acceleration has probably taught you a lot about that without you even imagining before what that would have been like. Yeah. Um, no, like just, it, it's just been such an eye-opening experience, I guess. Like in university, you know, you take a bunch of classes and I don't really, like a lot of the knowledge from the classes, I don't remember. Like obviously my anatomy and my phys is huge. But other than that, like the classes I took, they, they don't really have an impact on me now. But it was kind of just like a university taught me how I should go about myself, right? Like you said about taking initiative, like successful university students take a step further to, you know, go get extra help or go do extra research, go have extra combos with their profs, build extra connections in their classes with their classmates. So I think it's just, more like university is more about how you carry yourself and then once you get into the real world and you start working you have to become an entrepreneur it's like okay yeah the knowledge the knowledge from the classes is not nearly as important as like you know the connections i made in university or just like the lessons you learn as like a person right so i think that's that's just been the biggest thing for me is in my last year i really tried to um step out of my comfort zone as a student and just like like I joined like the like the UMAC council, uh, just try to take extra leadership roles and do extra things and give myself extra opportunities to meet people. Right. Because I knew in my last year I, w- I was never going to be in a place where I'm surrounded by 30,000 young minds. You know what I mean? Once I step around the real world, you're not going to have an opportunity like that again. 100% man. And I think I learned that lesson in university very well towards the end before COVID hit was, you don't always necessarily go to university to, you don't always necessarily go to university just so you can learn theories and whatever you go there to meet people because yeah. how do you make friends? How do you network compared to when you're in university? It's not as easy, not impossible, but that's really what honestly 80% of it is. When you think about what's the difference between going to business school at Western versus business school at Lakehead university, the people you meet, you're exposed to right it's not about you're going to learn some crazy nuanced theory at western that no one else in the the country knows exactly and like for me like it's kind of similar because i went from redeemer to here redeemer had like under a thousand people at the time when i was going to school there and uh coming to u of m with thirty thousand people obviously when i got here it was covid but my last year i got a taste of like the in-person on-campus vibe of, of the school and i was like man i really wish i got to go here for like four or five years because it's just crazy like the people i was able to meet in my last two years i was like if i was able to come here for four or five years like who knows the person i would have become right absolutely it's it truly is the experience that you make it and the skills that you've developed or the skills that you could even develop when working as a personal trainer or not being able to be exposed to that big student body just goes to show as you carry forth in your career that it's only going to continue to compound the more that you are willing to network. And Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the toughest things that people struggle with who are in their mid twenties is learning how to network and learning how to take initiative and be proactive. But I think being a student athlete is definitely an avenue that helps with that. Oh, for sure. Like, just the fact that I can say I, I played for U of M 
and like the success the programs had recently too it's just it just helps so much like just starting a conversation or just the, the fact that like like there's so many U of M alumni especially athletes that just want to help each other out so that's a great place to start but yeah I think the biggest thing is just like obviously if you don't if if you're starting from from nowhere like you just have to be fine with stepping out of your comfort zone and you just have to become okay with being uncomfortable and just like having those maybe they're a little bit awkward conversations or anything like that but just yeah anything that makes you uncomfortable you should just try and go for it and it's something i'm still trying to work on but all the great greatest situations i've been in started with a very uncomfortable beginning and it grew into something amazing what would you say is the skills that you want to continue to work on in the next few years that you find you still have a difficult time grappling with? Uh, one of them is just uh, networking myself, being able to just spark up a conversation with someone and kind of sell myself as a personal trainer um, in that field. That's definitely one thing I uh, I would love to get really good at because it's, it's obviously a game changer, right? Like if I talk to, 20 new people a week and I have a 30% sign up rate. I'm still getting, you know, a decent amount of clients coming in every month. Uh, so that's one thing I, I want to work on. And then just kind of like the work, the work study balance. I want to continue to uh, obviously train as many people as I can, but I want to uh, also have the time to like do research and just keep learning, reading articles, watching podcasts from other trainers um since i've started personal training i'm still kind of getting used to the schedule because it is it's a very sporadic schedule like even like a day like today like i only have uh a handful of clients but they're very spaced out so it's like okay like in between clients you know don't just go grab food and take a nap like let's read an uh, article on pubmed you know or let's like make some programming for some clients or let's watch a podcast about um, game day training and how to how to train for athletes on game days just just little things like that it's yeah it's um it's something that you have to keep working on and i know that the world of being a trainer is a never-ending journey of learning yeah you got to keep going and learning and getting better and evolving and if you don't evolve like i remember when chatting with sherwin you know it's like you evolve or you die. There's no stagnation as a trainer or as a player as well when you're in your career. Yeah, no, for sure. And yeah, it's like, it isn't, it's an exhausting profession because um, especially now there's so many people, so many more trainers, it seems like, right. And everyone's trying to come up with like the next best exercise or something like that. Right. Um, but yeah, sometimes it is just better to like stick to the basics, but just keep learning as much as you can and just exactly just keep trying to evolve and stay up to date with everything. What advice would you give to student athletes who are entering their 20s, whether it be they, they're beginning their career or they're getting towards the end of their career? What advice would you give them based on the experiences that you've had as a student athlete who's finished their career? Um. Do as much as you can in your time as a student. I think a lot of times as a student athlete, you kind of just get caught up in school and sports. And 
I get it. Like at times you might have a week where you have two games, you got to travel across the country and you have two midterms and a paper to write. So yeah, your whole life is going to be school and sports, but just like make time to have fun, meet as many people as you can, you know, try not to get caught up in things too much. Like uh, I know sports can be exhausting on your mental health. Um, Obviously take your craft seriously, work at it as hard as you can, but don't push yourself past limits, right? Don't burn yourself out because at the end of the day, you know, there's more to life than just the sport, but obviously go as hard as you can every single day, work, work as hard as you can. Like, I can't say that enough. Like, I feel like the one good thing about my career is at the end of it, even if I didn't accomplish everything I wanted to, like I gave it my all every day. Every off season was committed to basketball, right? Every off season was committed to getting better in season. I was locked in on how to improve myself, how to build relationships with my teammates. But, you know, at the end of the day, I still wanted to go and have fun, make time with my friends, do things around the school, um, you know, go out on a Friday or Saturday night and just party while you can, right? Because all that stuff's eventually going to end or it's just not going to be as fun anymore. So, yeah, just uh, don't get caught up in the moment. Um, be self-aware of, like, your mental and physical exhaustion. Take breaks if you need to. But at the end of the day, like, you know, plan plan out your days. Stay super committed to the grind. And just uh, just know when you have to take breaks and take a step back and reset. Who's your favorite basketball player? Allen Iverson. <laughs> I, I, I was going to say, like, for some reason, like, now that you said, I'm like, I feel like I can see a bit of of the embodiment of his play when, when you're playing. Yeah, like, that's what I grew up watching. Like, uh, I don't know, you know, like, and one mixtapes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. I grew up watching like Allen Iverson and, and D Wade mixtapes, uh, both of them just like undersized guards. Um, you know, I'm not like the most athletic guy, but they were like crazy fast, could jump out of the gym, super flashy. So that's who I grew up uh, watching a lot of. And I don't know if I necessarily play like either one of them, but I think just like kind of their mentality of just being a dog and like as an undersized guard, you have to be a dog. Or you're just going to get eaten alive or you're, or you're never going to make it to the next level. Right. So even though I'm not the most athletic dude, I still think like at times I was just a killer out there. And, and that's what you have to be if you're an undersized guard. hundred percent, man. I think of um, when I think of the the career of Allen Iverson, maybe he's not someone who ended up winning an NBA championship. But you look at the mentality that he had with how he approached the game. I mean, it's not a coincidence that he was the person who was on the original cover of the first three NBA 2K games. Yeah. It's not, he was, yeah. uh, he was another level. And then even like saying, talking about the championships, it's like he didn't win a championship, but look at the mark he left on the game. Like, look at how many players wear the number three because of Allen Iverson. Like Dwayne Wade literally said he wears number three because of Allen Iverson. And he's like the third best shooting guard of all time. Right. So, even if you don't win a, a ring at the end of the day, it's just the impact that you have on people. And I think that was something that I wanted to do with my game as well is just like, you know, I want, I want my teammates, my coaches to remember me as just like a player that made an impact. Absolutely, man. That's a great way to approach the game because at the end of the day, you, when you know that you gave everything, 
then win or lose, you you did everything, and yeah. you you can live with peace of mind knowing that there's no gas left in the tank. Exactly, and yeah, for real. And I feel that now, like like yeah, uh, I miss playing like crazy, and I still have aspirations to play. But at the end of the day, like I was like, man, it was exhausting. Like I have so much more time for myself and to just learn about things like I didn't even know I liked because I was just so busy playing basketball all the time. Like when I tell you my, my every summer since I was 12 years old has solely been committed to getting better at basketball. Like that's all I did. I missed out on so many parties, so many hangouts with my friends. Cause I was like, Oh no, I'm going to go to the gym. I got to be up early or something like that. And now that like, I can just, I don't, I'm like, I don't have any guilt of missing a workout. Like I still stay in, in shape because I'm a trainer and I love to work out, but I'm like, Oh, if, if you know, I want to go do this. I don't have to feel guilty about missing out on going to get shots up. And it's like a, it's like a bittersweet feeling. What are some of the favorite things that you've started to do now that you never had the chance to really do before? Uh, well, I got back into playing video games. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I hadn't played games like at all. Like my last, like last three years just because I was so busy and I thought it was pointless because I was like, why would I be playing 2K when I could just be in the gym or something like that? Uh, that's one thing I've picked up on. Uh, I've been doing a lot more cooking. I, I used to really like to cook and then I just got busy, kind of just started meal prepping like whatever foods, but now I have more time to do that. Uh, watching podcasts, reading articles, stuff like that relating to personal training. Um, and then just like hanging out with my friends more, making that more of a priority, um, has been huge for me as well. So I think nothing like, so I haven't really picked up anything crazy, but just the fact that like, I'm not, I'm not having a cram schedule. I'm not exhausted. I'm not sore all the time. I have like less mental stress. Uh, that's all just been like making it easier to move on from the game, I guess. Absolutely, man. It's there, there's a saying I heard when I was playing football that said, you know, athletes, they die twice in their life. They die at the end of their life when they're no longer alive and they die when their career ends because you literally feel like you're becoming a new person and this big part of you is just over. And yeah. I, I, I do believe it is one of the most difficult things that athletes who played a high level deal with is not knowing what to when when they should let go or when they shouldn't or the fact that most people more than 90% of athletes never get to end their career on their own terms and it's something that whether it haunts them or makes them bitter or stings them for a long time and it's uh it's a real struggle and seeing people who lead the charge on changing the narrative or allowing athletes to actually step into a greater purpose than just playing a sport i think is something that's very important for them to learn how to do and embody as life goes on. Because when you think about how long you play, even, even if you play in the NBA for 10 or 15 years, you still have more than half your life to do stuff that has nothing to do with playing in the NBA. Right. And that's yeah. like, if you're a 0.001 percenter in life, because how many people, like we said, before we started recording, how many people from, I mean, you're not from Winnipeg, but like, let's use Winnipeg as an example. One, that's it. One guy's made the league and yeah. was over seven feet. So what are the chances that people from Winnipeg end up going to play in the NBA? 
super, yeah. super rare, or even pro, like even people like Emily or Kitomera or AJ, you name them, like who've gone to play in Europe or Australia or whatever, like it's not common, even if you are a great university player. So I think not taking that for granted is huge when it comes to stepping into like not, not being constricted by your, your athlete identity, you know, like more than an yeah. athlete, I know it's something people throw around a lot, but what does that really mean? You know? Yeah, no, I, I agree for sure. And just like that transition period, it's something that like, I can't even really explain how hard it is. Like until you actually have to deal with it, like every like, obviously like as an athlete, you're thinking about it, like, Oh, like, you know, I only have five years. Like it's going to end eventually. Um, but until you're actually in it, like the emotions you go through, it's just, it's something I've never really experienced before. Cause I've, I've been playing basketball since I was four years old. I finished playing when I was 24. Uh, well, I, I still would like to play, but my athletic career finished at 24 for university. And like, I was like, Hey, what now? Like my whole life, I've been a basketball player. Like now that's not guaranteed. Like I, there's no guarantee I'm going to get a pro contract. So what do I like? What do I do after this? And it's a crazy mental game. And honestly, you just got to take things one day at a time. Stay positive, and just I find it helps if you if you just keep if you have if you can find another passion, that plays a huge role in it. Like being able to transition right into strength training, like without any hesitation, really, has been huge for like my mental health. I think because I uh, it's always been tough, but personal training is becoming a new passion where some people sit for months, maybe even years without finding like, okay, what's next? What do I love to do? Cause this is all I've been doing. I've only been a football or soccer or basketball player for the last X amount of years. So like what, like what, I don't even know who I am. Like, what do I like? I've been so busy doing everything else. Right. So personal training, I've been blessed to just kind of have this fall in my lap. Right. But yeah, it's uh you, there's definitely there there needs to be more people out there like you know reaching out to athletes and kind of helping them find their their next step after they're done playing it's it's something that will i know continue to be discussed amongst athletes and i think should just be talked about more in general but seeing the path that you've carved with personal training and and getting into that is tremendous because oftentimes like we were saying a lot of people who finish their athletic career they, especially when it comes to playing at university, immediately want to jump to the first thing that's the, the first lily pad of safety. Oh, I did this degree. It's time to cling to this blanket of security as quickly as possible because I can't, yeah. I can't go a month or two more about with feeling uncertainty about my direction in life. And, and hence even the, the, the reason of having this podcast and having these conversations is because yeah, a lot of people in their 20s are lost and see a lot of people who are older having success, not even knowing what they want or why they want it, and then doing things because other people tell them that they should, and then they don't know how to listen to their own intuition or how to develop their own voice or idea of what it is that they should do because they want to do it, not because they're following a script written by somebody else. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think like that's one interesting thing you said talking about when you're in your mid twenties, you're looking at like you come out of university and you start working with people with ha that, who have this success. And I find, especially with athletes, like athletes are usually very ambitious people. I know I am. So like, you know, I look even like me working with Sherwin, 
I, so I come right out of school and now I'm working with Sherwin who's built this great uh, business, owns his own gym, has all these professional clients. And I'm like, I want this. Like, I want my own gym. I want my own professional clients, right? But Sherwin did this over 20 plus years. And I, I, I couldn't even imagine the amount of ups and downs and, and battles that went into it, right? But me just being the person I am, I, I'm coming out right away. I was like, how do I get this right away? And then, so just like being able to take a step back and be like, it takes time. But just like knowing that I have another passion to work towards and it, it is something I, I love to do and I want to get better at. I know that like it's going to be just like basketball, right? I didn't become a, a good university player over the course of one summer. It was, it was building blocks of many consistent summers. So I'm going to approach personal training the same way. I mean, and even look at some of the people you're already training, like you're literally training and working with probably the people who are the best active athletes who play basketball innocent who are from this province like yeah yeah it's a blessing it's it's crazy to learn like last summer i was in the gym working out with them now i'm coaching them like someone like keith like that like when i first started doing workouts with keith like it was a bit intimidating because i was like well how am i going to tell this guy what to do but the more i started learning um about personal training and kind of like observing uh the movements he likes uh, and like the movement Sherwin programs for him by the end of the summer, like I was making a lot of programs for Keith and it was just me and him working together. And, uh, and yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. And I think he appreciated the work too. So that was a really rewarding feeling as well. You know, they, they, they say that, uh, when this, when this, when the student is ready, uh, the teacher appears, but when the student is, you know, is like has graduated then the teacher disappears. Right. So <laughs> being able to work with Keith must've been, must've been an incredible experience of just working from with him one-on-one -on -one from like before you're like, Oh my goodness, this guy like did all these things. He's such a great player. Like how, how, like you said, how the hell is he going to listen to what I have to say? Yeah. And that's the same with like uh, Emily Potter too. That's another person I got to work with a little bit. And like, uh, I, the unique thing about acceleration performance is that we like, we tend to individual needs, right? There wasn't, there isn't just one specific program. So like Keith and Emily are, are very different athletes, very different players. One's a center and one's a guard. You know what I mean? They, they need complete different things. So it's like, like, it's just a, a big learning curve, but just being able to learn how to program for both of them and, and tend to their needs. It just, that's something that's really going to help me in the long run, I think. Um, like you're going to see so many different types of athletes come through the door. And in my first summer as a personal trainer, I got to coach probably like the two best active pros for their respective um, positions. Right. Like, Oh, Jared too. But Jared was a, uh, he was in and out quick and he battled with like a lot of knee, uh, knee injuries this summer. So Sharon was mainly with him, but that's like another pro I kind of got to observe from a distance more so uh he's who's another amazing amazing winnipeg basketball player right who comes to train here uh so just seeing how all three of them are such high level players but all of their training is very different and that's just one thing like just being able to observe or program for them it was a really cool experience absolutely man they they're all tremendous athletes and being able to have that experience i'm sure teaches you a lot about not only yourself but how to become a better trainer and how to program to different people's needs, depending on what level they're at, what position, everything. Cause that, that is where the world of training is going. It's not just like back in the day where you put a VHS tape in 
from some person and then just watching thousands of people follow along the same generic workout. No, no cookie cutter, you know, no, no fitness cults, workout classes, none of that stuff. Yeah, no, for sure. Well, Elijah, I want to thank you for having been on today's episode. It was fantastic getting to chat, getting to learn more about your career, playing basketball, training people, and learning how to blossom and continue to learn to become the best version of yourself in whatever capacity that is, whether you're playing, you're coaching, or whatever it may be. So I appreciate the time that you spent joining me on today's episode. For sure, man. Thank you so much for having me.